Russell, you take your Bibles and open to Colossians. Don't forget about our DLT groups this week. And um, also our D groups on Sunday mornings. We've had some, we've had some great uh, D groups, especially, I don't know about your, ours, ours today was excellent. It was just, just what I needed. Kind of getting down to the nitty gritty of the real world. And of course, that's the purpose of those D groups is to get us right down to where we live. Right. And and so many of us, we want to talk above where we live (laughs) or it's easier to look. And we talked about that today. Look outside and and inspect the fruit of other people. Uh, There's a tendency. I think the reason we do that is so we don't have to look inside. Right. So we talked about that in our groups today. And boy, I tell you what, it was convicting, but also encouraging. Um, So I want to encourage you. Nine forty five. Invest in your spiritual growth. It's part of our discipleship flow plan. For every believer, and uh, but it takes you to see value in that and to be here. And we want to invite you to be a part of that. Are you in Colossians chapter four this morning? Uh, I want to talk to you. I'm going to do something a little different. Um, I am going to take one verse out of there. I'm going to read the whole thing, and we're actually going to go through this text next week. And again, do something a little bit different. Um, but I want you to notice as I read. And you read along with me. Somebody, somebody count, because I'm, I'm ashamed to tell you I can't read and count at the same time. But somebody count how many men Paul names in this, his conclusion to this letter to the Church of Colossae that I'm going to read to you right now. This is, his, this is his actual conclusion. But I'm going to focus on verse 17 today and then, and then um, talk about the ministry God's given to every man and every boy. Tychicus, there's one, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, Who is one of you? They will make known to you all the things which are happening here. And by the way, let me put a little pause on that. If you want to know more about this guy Onesimus and why Tychicus was accompanying him back to Colossae, read the next book, the next letter in your Bible to Philemon, and you'll understand why. Uh, Pretty interesting. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And there's a reason Paul says that. There was a time that Paul didn't have much use for Mark. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision, in other words, Jews. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Boy, there's so much I want to preach this whole thing. <laughs> it's all so good. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in, the, in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And it's obvious that this Epaphras was most likely the, the lead elder in this church, probably started it. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea 
and Areopolis, he also started those fellowships, and those churches were very close by. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nympha's house, and, Nymph and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. So now we know where the church in Laodicea met. It met in the house of a brother called Nymphus. Um, and if you don't like your name, you can now be thankful because <laughs> you could be called Nymphus. <laughs> now along with this epistle, now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Any of you have the epistle of Laodicea in your Bible? You actually do. You just don't know it by that name. We'll talk about that next week. And say to uh, Archippus, this is the verse I want to focus on, and say to Archippus, take heed, pay attention to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may, what church? Fulfill it. God had an assignment for whoever this Archippus was. And, and Paul said, y'all get together and remind him. He's got a job to do and needs to finish it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. It's the word of God. The ending of Colossians, which we will finalize next Sunday. And one of you historians in here, probably in Tom's group, will be able to tell me when we started the series in Colossians, because I would like to know that sometime. Huh? 1837. That's why you don't ask things when Tom's in the audience. <laughs> Amen. All right. I want to talk to you today. Could you go back to verse 17 for me? Lisa, thank you. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Now, I'm just going to make a quick comment here, but I want to take this and use it to speak to the guys today. A um, little bit we know about this guy named Archippus. You can go home. By the way, write this down, studylight.org, not com, .org. Um, that's a free concordance and, and a Bible study site that is amazing that it's free. has so many resources in it. But go there and in the search bar, put this guy's name and see where else he comes up. Um, and I will just tell you, give you a little bit of a hint for next week. This fellow named Archippus was probably, it's a little bit of an assumption, but not much, uh, he was probably the son of Philemon, um, who, and he's, he is mentioned in the next book in, in verse 2. Uh, Philemon's only one chapter, so in verse number 2 you'll find his name. So we know that Archippus was a member, obviously, of, of the little church there in Colossae, that all of this writing has been written to, and Paul says, Pay attention, Archippus. You, you have an assignment from God, and you need to see that assignment to the end. Amen? How many of you realize today that you have an assignment from God, and you need to see that assignment to the end? The older I live, the more impressed I am 
specifically with men who finish well. Because we just don't see that. It's becoming more and more rare, and it's a sad thing. And this is just me, my opinion. That and about $5 will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. But it's my opinion that the reason men don't finish well is because they didn't start well as boys. So I want to talk to the guys today, and ladies, you need to hear this for a number of reasons. Number one, you need to hear this to hold the boys and the men accountable that are in your life and to encourage them to their various ministries based on the stage of life that they're in. So I want to talk to you about this ministry that God's given to you. And I want to start with the boys. With the boys. How many of you in here, just raise your hand. I see some in the back. How many of you in here um, you know, are at least 12 or under? Raise your hand. If you're 12 or under, raise your hand. <laughs> okay, I see Elliot back there. All right, Paul John. Jackson. Judah. All right, none of you are 12 or under. You say, preacher, why do you say 12 or under? We'll argue about that in a minute. But I really believe that a boy transitions into young adulthood around the age of 13. And because we don't recognize that, we have done them a disservice. But let me talk. And still, even those of you, I think you two are 13, right? What I'm about to say still applies to you. Sam, it still applies to you at 16. But so does the next section. But let me talk to you boys for a minute about the ministry, Judah and Jack and all of you guys out here that are still living at home under the roof of your parents. The ministry that God's given to you that you need to pay attention to just like Archippus and you need to fulfill it. This particular word, this is a particular assignment for you at your life stage. We find it in Luke chapter 2, verses 51 through 52. Now let me give you the context of this. How many of you remember this history? We know that Jesus is 12, and that's significant. There's really not a lot in the Bible about Jesus' childhood. This is one of the few windows into what young Jesus was like. We don't have a lot. We have some extra biblical stuff, which I'm, we need to be rightfully skeptical of. But this is a biblical account. Do you remember what happened here? They're at, in Jerusalem for a feast because Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, was a righteous man. And so he took his family to the temple during the feast days, as was required by God's law. So Jesus is there. Um, the population would literally quadruple. population of Jerusalem would blow up to over a million people during these feast times. Um, and you, you think of a million people in the size of a city of downtown Macon. Can you imagine how shoulder to shoulder that would be? Crazy. And very unsafe to travel. So they traveled in these large caravans of families or everybody coming from Galilee or here, Nazareth, where he was from, we all go together because we're less likely to be attacked by robbers and thieves. And, and in those days, getting attacked by a robber and thief didn't mean losing your wallet. It mo usually meant losing your life, right? So we, we travel in big groups for safety. And you know what happened, right? 
Uh, Joseph, uh, Joseph and Mary, they're all heading back home uh, north to Nazareth, figuring that Jesus was probably with some of the cousins, um, and he's in that crowd somewhere. They get to the place where they're stopping for the night, can't find Jesus. And they, they, get, they, they, they get to everybody they know, everyone that would know Jesus. Jesus is not in this big group. Now, what would, you, what would you do? What would you think as a parent? You've just left your, most likely left your 12-year-old son in a major metropolitan city by himself. There's a word, what, what'd she say? I, you took the words right out of my mouth, Carolyn. That's panic. Uh, I, I am sure that Mary and probably Joseph were in a little bit of a panic because they're already a full day's journey away from, away from the north. And there's several reasons to panic, not just that Jesus is by himself, but now they've got to do what? They've got to go back with just the two of them very unsafe, and it's now night. They got to get back up to Jerusalem, and then they got to find him. And then what? They got to go home with just the three of them. You see how this is a bad situation getting worse? Okay, let me put a pin in that and, and say for a second, was Jesus sinless? Was he sinless in this action at 12? Yeah, he was. Uh, so Jesus did no wrong in staying. We must remember that. And that becomes, that becomes significant here. Um, so here's what the verse says. So they go up to, to, to Jerusalem. They look all over and they can't find him. And it's, and it's so true, isn't it? The last place you look, it's usually where you'll find him, right? Um, my, my parents were fond of leaving me in many places during my childhood. It's the truth. Uh, I got left in church on numerous occasions, sleeping in the back row, which is probably why I'm a pastor today, because I, I, you know, I spent a lot of time in church. Uh, uh, one time, the, um, I remember being awakened by our pastor of the church I grew up in, and the whole church was empty except for he and I. And he said, well, your parents must have left you again. Why don't you just come to my house for lunch? So I went to... Was, uh, was it Pastor Shaw? No. Uh, well, Pastor Taylor. Pastor Shaw was in New York. Um, so I went to Pastor Shaw's parsonage, the end of the parking lot, and he called my mom and said, Judy, don't, don't worry about Paul. She goes, well, why would I worry about him? He said, well, he's at my house. She goes, no, he isn't. He's here. So I was very well taken care of as a child, as you can tell. <laughs> I was left in the post office, numerous places. But, you know, you go find him. My mom told me a story one time when I was a real little guy. I think I was like a baby or like a little toddler. I could move. That she went to get me up and I was missing. Remember that? And you, they were afraid I got in a neighbor's pool. and They had a whole neighborhood looking for me. And she, panic. That's the word, panic. And she finally went back into the bedroom and knelt down by the bed to pray. And she heard a noise. And somehow I had gotten out of that crib and rolled under the bed and fell asleep. So panic, you can imagine. So they finally find him. And you remember the account? What, what does Mary say to him? Why'd you do this to us? Right? What, what do you think? Why would you do that? And remember, this was no sin. This was no sin. 
And it's really important to understand Jesus' age and culture. Because at 12, he was no longer a child. He was a full-blown young man in the eyes of the Jewish culture, in the eyes of God. He had been bar mitzvahed. And he was no longer a boy, but a young man. And he turns to his mama and says, Oh, di didn't you know I got to be about my dad's business? Now, what was Joseph? What was his business? He was a carpenter. What father was he talking about? His heavenly father. And that temple was the center of his father's business. Right? Which was totally typical. You get bar mitzvahed, you learn dad's business, you take over or you go start your own. It's just, he's just doing what he's doing. Right? But, but fellas, I want you to notice this. Jackson, look at this word. Andy, Sam, Ben, you guys in the back. I know your only name starts with M, Malachi. And which one's Malachi? Right, well, you're all, how old are you? 14. Um, you guys, look at this. Look what it says. Then he went down with them. So now they're leaving Jerusalem. He went down with them and came to where? Nazareth. And well, look at this. And was, what's this word, guys? Ben, what's this word? And was what? Submissive to them. That's your ministry. That is your ministry. Judah, that's your ministry. Paul, John, that's your ministry. To submit to mom and dad. Another word for that, you might want to write it in here, is to obey. Your job, your only job is to obey. Your ministry before God, if you're living at home, is to obey your parents. Pure and simple. And I want you to know fellas, that Jesus was 16. Can you imagine that? Jesus, Jesus knew what it was like to go through what you're going through. When his voice would crack and his beard would sort of come in and girls were interesting and terrifying all at the same time. Jesus got that. He, underst he understands your world. He was 12 and 13, Ben and Andy. He knows what it's like for that struggle But he never sinned. He, he submitted himself to his parents. And he did that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say to you young people that are living at home, your parents aren't stupid. And I don't say this in a self-serving manner, but I'll say that to this front row. Your parents aren't stupid. I'll say that to Strider up there. Strider, your dad's not stupid. He knows more than you do. He's lived longer. And I want to say also to you, if you have both parents and they love Jesus, you are a blessed young person. You really are. And I want you to think about this. How hard must it have been for Jesus to submit to imperfect parents? I want you to think about that. How hard must that have been? Even, this, even in this instance... And by the way, it was no big deal for a 12-year-old to be in a major metropolitan city and have to take care of himself because he was considered an adult at 12. He had been bar mitzvahed by then. That's why it was no sin against God's law. He did not disobey his parents. They just didn't understand who he was. But when they came to him and said, hey, don't do that again, you know what he said? I could take it off of that verse. He said, okay, what you say, what? Goes to imperfect parents who didn't understand who he was. 
And listen to me, listen to me, you, you, you guys in the front row, you fellows in the back, you, you children in here today. If Jesus, listen, if Jesus needed parents to raise him, being perfect, you need parents to keep raising you. Your ministry is to submit to and to obey your parents. That's God's word for you. That's God's ministry for you. And I want you, I want you to understand this, that Jesus was submissive to both of his earthly parents. <laughs> See, I got your number. I know how y'all are because I, I wrote the book. We used to, if we wanted to do something, we never asked dad. Because dad was Mr. No. Dad believed in giving his children a healthy dose of vitamin no. And some of you parents need to learn how to do that. You need to, you need to learn to say no to your children. Your, your, your kids need to do what you do when you do it. If you're in church listening to God's word being spoken and not playing games on your phone, they don't need to be playing games on their phone. They need to be sitting there with you and you need to give them a good vo uh, dose of vitamin no. My dad gave us an overdose of vitamin no. <laughs> so when we wanted to do something, we knew what to do. We, we waited until my mom had her nose in a book, which was in, 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 the, in the rare times that she had a moment of silence, she would be reading something. We would wait till she was two chapters in a good book, and then we would ask her, can we go out and play in the middle of the road? Yeah, just go. <laughs> right? Mom was easier to submit to because she liked to say yes. That's not submission. Do you submit to both of your parents? Do you obey both of your parents? She goes, yeah, I do. Let me, let me, can I challenge you young people? To go home and ask your parents. Do I submit? Mom, do I submit to you? How am I doing at obeying you? Dad, am I submissive to you? Do I, do, do I obey? Do I do what you say with a good attitude? Ask them. Now, you probably already know the answer. You got the guts enough to go home and ask them that? The entire culture that you live in today, boys and young men at home, is a fool's parade of idiots. And you need to know that. Young men are wasting all their time on pornography, video games, and stupidity. And, you're, and they're wasting their lives. The future that is theirs is neither plotted or planned, and it does not lead to flourishing or life. You need to be different. There's a whole industry out there designed to tell you that young men are defined by what they consume, not by what they produce. And it's a lie. And your parents will protect you from that. Young people today are all about consumption, not production. They are takers, they are not givers. Don't be like that. And if you obey, if you submit to your parents, we will help you be a producer and not a consumer. And that's what God made you to be. We're preparing you for your next step in life. So your ministry, you're living at home, is to submit to authority. Specifically and first and foremost, your parents and then the other authorities God's put in your life. Amen, people? Let me talk to young men. Young men today, and we can, we can vary that. I would, still, I would look over here and say I got three young men sitting on the front pew, but there are three young men that are still home. still living under their parents' roof, so, so they, they're going to have a foot in both of these worlds. Um, in the Bible, 
In Jesus' day, a young man was considered young up to about 39 years old. That's why Paul says to Timothy, let no man despise your what? Your youth. He was under 40. Um, and so he was, he was considered young. Jesus would have been considered a young man. Um, so biblic, biblically, manhood was, uh, young, a young man was up to 40. Before you got to 40, you were considered a young man. Now, I got some bad news. How, how many of you would fit in that 39 and under? Raise your hand. Kevin, remember the days you used to get to raise your hand there? <laughs> I got good news and bad news. The bad news is I read this book, and it doesn't have much good to say about young men. Um, it, does say, it does say that young men are strong, but so are pit bulls and food poisoning. <laughs> Those are strong things, too. But it, it says that young men have a big sail, but oftentimes a, a bad rudder, uh, and, that, and that young men need to focus on the ministry that God has for them. It says that young men have a lot of strength, but oftentimes they are lacking wisdom. And it gives me great joy uh, to see young men who are walking wisely. And I, and I see some of our men in this room today, and it, and it gives me joy to see that. My son, Paul, I see Kevin and, and uh, Daniel in the back. Uh, these guys that are walking west. These guys, well, actually, Wes is in the next group. Uh, these guys that are walking wisely. Wes, you're almost in the old man stage, but I digress. <laughs> but young men, I want to tell you something. The entire culture is set up to target and destroy you. Uh, nothing in this culture is fashioned for your flourishing, but rather for your failure. This world system and culture despises your very existence. They call your masculinity toxic because they fear God's order and God's plan. When you go to college, you will not find a men's study department. There's no such thing. You will not find a national organization for men because the culture and the world hates you and they hate what you stand for and they hate the mantle that God has put not on the ladies but on your shoulders. They're jealous of it and they despise it. I mean, if you want to learn how to be a father, where do you go? Other than the church, where do you go? There's nowhere for you. That's why God puts it in the church. In the church and in your family, you should learn how to be a father and a husband. There's a veritable mountain of pornography on the Internet, but very little instruction on how to become qualified to take a bride, raise a family, and leave a legacy. That's the world you have inherited. It is so bad for young men at this time in history. Did you know that for the first time in a nation's history, there are more young women than young men in the workforce? There are more young women than young men in church. Listen to this. You should jot this down. By 10 million. That's why we have these beautiful young, single young ladies in the back. And there are no good Christian godly young men for husbands. Now, God is bigger than all that. Praise the Lord. Amen. He, 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 and he has ordained this. He's got his plan. But I'm going to tell you something. I look at these beautiful young ladies in the back that are godly women raised by a godly man. And there's no young men. Why? Because they're out playing video games, living in their parents' basement at 30 years old. Did you know, this blew me away when I saw this. Did you know, for the first time in the history of the world, there are more young women who have driver's licenses than young men? And I'm going to tell you why. 
I'm going to tell you exactly why that's the case and why there's more women working, young women working today than young men. You know why? Because work and having a license to drive equals, you ready for this? The horrible R word to most young men in our culture today, responsibility. And young men in our culture today are shying away from responsibility. When if you read this book, it says that a young man should sprint towards responsibility, not shy away from it. And that's what's happening to young men in our culture today. They're living on their phone, playing fantasy football and video games and downloading, downloading pornography and playing a fool and ruining and wasting their lives. Did you know that today the majority of children born to women 30 and under are born outside the covenant of marriage? And did you know that today, in this country, 40% of children go to bed without a father in their home? And we wonder why we're where we are. It is a generational epidemic of boys who can shave. You say, what's a boy who can shave? It's a guy who is anatomically a man, but is spiritually and emotionally a boy. And we have been cursed by boys who can shave. And there's a whole industry out there designed to tell you that you're a man if you drink this drink, drive this truck, and eat this meat. And they're filling a void in you, and they're taking your money. And then these young men have this father wound they got from their dads. And as a result, they don't know what a man is or what a man does. And they're left floundering. And God help the woman that marries that young man. Because that young man is actually marrying his mother. He's not looking for a wife. He's looking for someone to continue to take care of him. So he doesn't have to do his laundry and cook his food. But this father wound affects us in two ways. These young men end up either too tough or too tender. And the ones that are too tough, they're thuggish brutes. They're bullies. They're, emotion, they're emotionally distant alpha male who's going to intimidate and push around his family. But then there's the guys that are too tender because they've received this wounding from their father. They become the really nice guy who gets run over and taken advantage of regularly. And if he does get married and have children, they will not be defended or protected. Do you not know men right now, young men right now in both of those categories? I guarantee you do. I guarantee you young men and even you older men out there today know 10 guys that really need to be here and hear this message because they fall right into that. I want to tell you something about Jesus, our, our, our Messiah, our King. He was both tough and tender. He didn't play around. And depending on the circumstances, he was either tough or tender. The passage on the screen, look at it, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. I'm going to get to your ministry. I'm going to tell you right now after this. Paul says here, when I was a what, church? Little boy. I got news for you. If you're 13 or older, look, look at me right here. You're not a little boy anymore. It's time to grow up and put away some childish things. You know how I knew this young man sitting up here in the front row was ready to be called into, into his manhood and, and young adulthood? You know how I knew? when he sold his Sony PlayStation that he won in a fishing derby. 
when he said, you know what, Dad? I'd rather put that money to some real-world use and not a fantasy world of video games. He put away childish things. I knew he was ready. When I was a little boy, I, I did what? I spoke as a child. How many of you know some young men that talk like children? I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a what, church? When I became a man, what did I do? I put away childish things. And there's a reason. I ask this of men all the time, and I get blank stares. And I want to ask you guys this. When did you know you were a man? When did you know? Or when were you finally convinced that I'm a man? And the problem is, we tend to hang our manhood on things that are not biblical. Years don't make you a man. Embracing responsibility makes you a man. Serving, being a producer and not a consumer, that makes you a man. And I have mamas tell me all the time, oh, there's, you know, you just can't make a man quick. That's a lie. Have you ever heard of the U.S. military? They do it in six weeks. You know what they do? They expose the child. They call that child to die so a man can live in his place. And six weeks, they walk in a, a mama's boy, and six weeks later, they, they walk out a man who can literally defend the Constitution of the United States at the cost of his life. Don't tell me that can't happen quick. By the way, fellas, if you need the military to turn your boy into a man, you've fallen down on your job. That's what God put us in the house for, is to call our sons into this manhood. We have no rites of passage anymore. That's why I just recently had a rite of passage for my son, Ben. I invited all you guys, and some of you came, and we had a great time, didn't we? And it was, a, it was an affirming time to say, hey, here's one. you're no longer a boy, now you're one of us, and we're going to expect you, and we're going to call you to live like that. And to act like that and to grow. Did you know that today that um, marriage is being put off to the average of 30 for most men today? In the United States of America, most guys are 30 years old before they're ever married. It's an extended boyhood is what they're after. Did you know that adolescence and the word, the word adolescence and the concept behind it and teenager are new words in the last hundred years? They did not exist hundred years ago. It's both new words and new concepts, and they've been detrimental to, to men. These guys have turned into boomerang guys that keep moving back into their parents' home and freeloading off their parents. And they spend their entire 20s dating, uh, relating, and fornicating instead of loving, serving, and giving. They're trying to extend their childhood years as long as they can. But Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. Do you know the difference between the thinking of a child and the thinking of a man? It's very simple. A child thinks someone should take care of me. A man thinks I should take care of someone. A child thinks that the world exists to serve me. And a man understands that he exists to serve the world. To make a difference and not to be a consumer but a producer. These guys are looking for someone to take care of them, to mother them. And that's why a lot of guys, when they choose a woman, they choose a woman that's like their mom. So she'll just continue to be the mom in their life and take care of them so he can continue to be a child. I think what we're observing in, in today is a whole generation of men who have been overmothered and underfathered. It's true. Am I right, Mark? 
Thank God for guys like Mark who understand this and say, I'm a, look, I don't care what the world does, this is, what, this is what we're doing. This is what our family, this is what the Maynard family does. And in the Maynard family, you're going to act like a man. You're going to put away childish things, and it's going to take a military boot camp to turn you into a man. Dad's going to turn you into a man. We need more guys like that. Those kids back there in those back row are not underfathered, I guarantee you. But men today turn to the government, the church, the school to raise our kids. We've handed off all of our responsibilities so we can continue to be children. I'm going to tell you something today, fellas. Real men are not more committed to football than to family and faith. If you're more excited about the Georgia Bulldogs than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, something's wrong with you. No, a man thinks these are my children. This is my job. This is my responsibility. This is my church. In your 20s to 30s, those are your power years, guys. Don't waste those years. Invest them. Invest them in the kingdom. Invest them in running towards responsibility, not running away from it. Men are like trucks. They drive straighter with a heavy load. I know when I was a very young man and had come to Christ, um, if you back that up one, please. When I was a very young man and came to Christ, uh, I, I went to my pastor of my church, Pastor Morris, and I said, because innately I understood this, and, and I, was, I was a young man. I said, I said, Pastor Morris, I want a job. What can I do around this church? And I was thinking like, usher or, you know, I'll cover the pulpit for you when you're not feeling well, that kind of thing. And he said, oh, good, I've been looking for somebody. I need someone to clean the bathrooms. And you know what? I cleaned the bathrooms in that church. That's, that's what I did. And I did it joyfully. Why? Because even as a young man, I knew that I needed to look for responsibility, not run away from it. So here's the fill-in. A young man's ministry is to put away childhood and embrace responsibility. Are you doing that, guys? Are you young men? Are you, are you, are you still trying to hang on to the last vestiges of childhood? And I struggle with that. With my sons, I want them to enjoy the little bit that they got left, but I also want to continually keep before them those days are passing. You need to embrace responsibility and think about your future. And by the way, I'll give you all a life lesson. Nobody follows a victim. Nobody follows a victim. And that's just the truth. You want to lead? Stop being a victim and start being a victor. You know, for every problem in our culture, you could trace it back. I don't care what problem we're having culturally. You go back and look, and you know what you're going to find? There wasn't a godly husband and father. There wasn't a godly husband and father. There wasn't a godly husband and father. Well, guess what? The answer is you being a godly husband and father. You're the answer, God. We're the problem, but we're also the solution. But we've got to man up and embrace this mantle of responsibility. And you say, well, I'm a man. I'm a man. I have hair on my chest, so, so do monkeys. doesn't make you a man. What makes you a man is stop running away from responsibility, start running towards it, and stop complaining about how hard you work and how much you do. God put you there to do that, and he equipped you to do it, and he didn't equip you to do it and whine about it or try to get props on the back. We're foundations. Nobody ever drives by this church and says, oh, what a gorgeous foundation. 
No, what do they say? What a beautiful log cabin. Nobody looks at the foundation. Why? Because the foundation is not there to get attention. The foundation is there to be solid, to build a structure on. I'll tell you, young men, you are not in your family to get all the attention. I know it's Father's Day and you're going to go home and what? Get all the attention. It's only one day a year, guys. Enjoy it while it lasts. We're foundations. We're supposed to be the bottom of the rung, and the family's supposed to be built on us. You don't need pats on the back. You don't need plaudits, and you don't need praise. You need to embrace responsibility. Shut up. Go to work and be glad that God gave you the ability to do it. Stop whining. I've looked over the table at many a man in my office for counseling and said, Brother, you can't whine and lead at the same time. So when you decide what you want to do, come back and see me. Here's the next group, grown men. Now, in the Bible, these were just called men. These are guys that have come into their own. It was generally 40 to 59 years old. How many of you would fall into that? I'd be in there. How many fall 40 to 59? Man, not much of us, just a few of us. Uh, the, these are just the regular men. Uh, there's young men, sons, brothers, but then there's fathers and even grandfathers. And the father integrates instruction in daily life. He integrates instruction in the daily life. Paul, and, and take time to read this whole thing, but I took some pieces out of it. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 17. Here, look at the language Paul uses. Again, he would be of this age, in this category as a man, really even an old man in the sense of his ministry. Look, see if you can find a ministry here. My beloved children. That's father talk, isn't it? You have not many what? Fathers. I'm, I'm, your, I'm your father in the faith. What, what, are, what are fathers? When, when did you become, Daniel, when did you become a father? Huh? Yeah, but what happened to make you a father? Had a child. You reproduced yourself. You see where this is going? When you reproduce yourself, you become a father. Right? That's your ministry. Guys, our age will come up here in the street. Here's our ministry that we need to pay attention to to fulfill it before God. That next screen. A man's ministry is to be a life giver, a mentor, and a disciple maker. You're to reproduce yourself. We're to give life. That's what I'm trying to do up here today. That's what I try to do every Sunday. So I try to do it at home with my kids and my wife. It's to speak life into them. And listen, one of the most convicting things that, that a man ever said to me, he asked me this question. This was when I was a young man at the time. And I had that faulty idea that I should be praised because I went to work that day. And I always had a bad attitude because I didn't think I got enough credit for all I did for the family. And he said this, he asked me this question, hurt my feelings. His name was Art. He said, when you come through that door at the end of your day, do your wife and kids say, thank God it's dad or dear God it's dad? I did not like Art at that moment. But I love him now. Oh, guys, when, when we're in this stage of life, we're to be life givers. We're to be speaking life not speaking condemnation. We need to be mentoring on purpose, going after our families, showing them what a godly man looks like, teaching them how to be, our sons how to be godly men.
the culture says that men are stupid. Y'all ever watch any TV or movies? Who's the idiot in every sitcom? The father. And the kids are the smart ones. That's so backwards. And by the way, that's by design. <clears throat> you don't have a lot of fathers. Paul said, you don't have a lot of life givers. I'll tell you the truth. We wouldn't have room in this building for the men that would fill it. If the men in this room had just raised their hands, if we really put our energy and effort into being life givers and in fulfilling this ministry at this stage of our life, we would have to start numerous churches because one place wouldn't hold them. Because these young men are dying for a lack of guys like you and me. And can I be honest with you? I know I've said some hard things today. But a lot of those young men are in our family. They're our sons. They're our nephews. We need to speak life. I'll tell you something today. Am I, am I right or am I right? Any man with a beat-up Bible is a unicorn. Any guy our age that loves Jesus, has stayed true to his wife, has repented of his sins, I want to say to that fellow, you are a miracle. And you are desperately needed in the kingdom of God. And your plaudit and your praise and your pat on the back, look at me, fellas, it's coming. But it's going to come from someone who has so much more authority than the people that you're looking to to lead in your life. Don't look to it from them. Look to it from him. Embrace this calling. Paul called Timothy and Titus and Onesimus his sons. Those are my boys. Those are my guys. Do you have sons in your life? Not that you've produced, but maybe that you've reproduced? Every man that age that just raised your hand, you ought to be able to count numerous other men that you have led to Christ and are discipling. That's our, that's our ministry. We're at a, this strategic place. These are our power years of influence because we're finally over Fool's Hill. How many of you fellows are glad you're over Fool's Hill? Oh, boy, that's a hard thing to get over. You say, oh, you're over the hill. Yeah, thank God. I've been trying to get over that Fool's Hill for a long time. Finally over it. And, and I want to focus on these things. I want to become a mentor. I, want to, I don't want to make disciples. I want to make disciple makers. That's our ministry that we must fulfill. And then real quick, lastly, but certainly not leastly, are these older men. And I think we got at least one. How many of you guys are 60 or older? Aubrey, is it just you? Stand up, Aubrey. Dale, stand up. Come here, Dale. You watch the door for a minute, Carolyn. You're stronger than him. No. <laughs> Come here. How old are you, Dale? 65. How old are you, Aubrey? 70. You got to respect him. He's your elder. I want you to look at these two men. You're going to notice something about them. First of all, the color of their hair. That's wisdom. You can learn a thing or three from guys like this. I have personally learned from these men in very practical matters in life. And we, we, we are called to honor these guys. 
these older men. And I want, I, want to, I want to make sure that we're doing that. Would you agree that we live in a culture that doesn't honor old men? We don't honor men in general, especially old men. You become the biggest brunt of all the jokes. I want to say to you two guys, you're no joke. And you matter. And you make a massive difference. And, and, and I want to say this too. By honoring old men, we honor all men. And the easiest way to make a man honorable, and it's going to sound crazy to some of you women today, the easiest way to make a man honorable is to honor him. He'll become what you tell him he is. You guys can be seen, but thank you so much. Let's give them a hand. Thank you guys for being alive at this age <laughs> and being an influence. Yeah, the easiest way to make a man honorable is to honor him. I, I, I read this true story. It blew me away, but as a lady, she wanted to, she was done with her husband. She was going to divorce him. She went to the divorce attorney, and she said, I don't just want to divorce him. I want to destroy him. Like, not even just financially, like personally. I want to wreck him. What can I do? And this very evil, wicked divorce attorney said, here's what you do. You go home, and for one month, you treat him like a king. And you tell him how amazing he is. And you thank him for all the stuff that he does. And, you, know, you know, just make him think that, that he's the greatest thing that ever walked. And at the end of that month, you hand him the divorce papers. You will destroy that man. And she said, that sounds like a good plan. True story. At the end of the month, she never came in. And the attorney had her number, so he called her. He said, you ready to serve those papers? She said, you out of your mind? She said, my husband literally became the guy I told him he was. I wouldn't leave him for anything. You know how you make a man honorable? Honor him. You grandfathers, you're at such a strategic, and I'm really kind of one of you. I'm, I'm, I'm getting there fast, but I have grandkids. You're at such a strategic stage of your life. You, got, you know what you all have? And I don't think, I, I know you two guys don't really realize how much of this you have. You have influence. You have so much more influence than you think you've got. Look at what John says, and I'm just going to use this. And he, he says this over and over. I just put one of the little sections up there, 1 John 2. 1. What does he call these saints? My little, my little babies. My little children. Who does that? I'll tell you who does that. Grandfathers do that. I've seen how you look at Lane, your grandson. It's a beautiful thing. As a grandfather, we look at life very differently. We look at our children, and especially our grandchildren, very differently. And here's what I put down for the ministry that you grandfathers, you men of such great influence, need to fulfill. It is this, an older man's ministry is to leverage the love of the father and to cast a vision of kingdom life. Just by being you and letting Jesus' love flow through you to your grandchildren. It's going to give them a thirst to become the man that you are. And you leverage the love of the Father. And you cast a vision. for You make those kids want to be a part of that kingdom. Because they see the love of Christ in you. And this was written by John. Do you all know who John is? Can we... Rewind the tape. Only you old people understand what that means. <laughs> I did a funeral yesterday at this old church out in the country. And uh, 
they literally had a cassette player with a bunch of cassettes up there. I haven't seen one of those in 20 years. But let's rewind the tape. Do you remember this guy? He was probably about 16 years. I don't know if you realize John was that young. He was probably about 16 years old when he started to follow Jesus. And it was James and his brother James, older brother James and John, when they went into this city and they didn't receive him. What did John say? I got an idea, Jesus. Call fire down from heaven and burn them all up. Whoa, okay. Wow, it's a little harsh. Let's just, let's just torch them all. Fast forward, he's 100 years old. They said that John lived to be around 100. And he couldn't walk anymore, and they would literally carry him from little church to little church. And, and, and here's what they say. They say he would sit before the congregation, and he would call them his dear little children, and he would, he would extol to them the love of the Father. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we of all people should be called the sons of God. He was, he was all about the love of God. The kid that wanted to burn everybody up becomes the guy who wants to wrap the love of the Father and, and through that love expand the kingdom to the whole world. That's you, fellas. And you need to leverage that. You need to leverage it. This guy who is a... A hothead and arrogant. He was also the one that said that put a bug in mama's ear. And his mom went to Jesus and said, hey, I've got a request. Let my son sit on your right hand when, you're in, when you come into your kingdom. He said, Jesus, I'll be your vice president. I got it. So this arrogant hothead becomes this guy as he, as he grows old who gets the love of God. He understands it and he speaks it fluently. And I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. But think about this, fellas. You guys that are grandparents out here. Tom. Me. Aubrey. Dale. You just had, was it a, a grand, a little Alice? Was she a grandchild? What did it feel like when you held her for the first time, Aubrey? What were you feeling? How would you describe that? Does it wash over you? Is it... It's, it's crazy. It's cra I'll never forget. He's taking him out. I hope he's not getting a spanking. My grandson. There you go. Uh, I'll never forget walking in that room and Paul handing Paul John to me. And I was fired up. I was, I was, I had, my mind was in another place. But the minute he put that kid in my hands, oh, my. my I remember holding Myra. My first grandkid for the first. I about lost my mind when she was delivering that kid. I, I didn't think I was going to make it. Panic attack. You ever prayed in a panic? I panic prayed for four hours while she was in labor for that day. And then I got the whole little kid. And I got to lie to you, Anna. It, it took me about three weeks to figure out that relationship. Because this baby wasn't mine. But it was such a part of me. And I love this kid so much. I had to find a place in my heart to put this baby but, oh, what a joy. I was, just, I was just the other Sunday, and I've related this to my wife. Thank God for her wisdom. I'm sitting on the porch with Anna. I think it was raining, so that's why the kids weren't playing in the yard. But little Joseph, whose birthday it is today, and he'll tell you he's three, 
he was riding some toy back and forth on our front porch. And I was sitting there with a hot cup of coffee with my daughter, watching this little boy just absolutely in delight, just having the time of his life. And Aubrey, it's that feeling. I was just overwhelmed with this euphoric feeling. I was explaining it to my wife later that night. And I said, what was that, baby? How, I don't even know how to describe it. She goes, oh, that's reaping. I said, what, what do you mean? She said, all of, the, all of the effort and energy that you put into raising Anna, and now there's this little boy who brings you this delight that there's not even a good word in the English language to describe, that just overwhelms your heart, brings tears to your eyes just to watch him play. That's how you feel about your grand. It's reaping. I've often said God's grandchildren are God's reward for not killing your teenagers. And they are. It's God's plan. It's a joy. It's such a deep satisfaction. Okay, so that feeling, listen to me, listen, to me, and that's going to mess up some of your theology. I'm going to tell you that right now. That's how God feels about his children. Now, God doesn't have any grandchildren. But, oh, if you're his son or daughter, God feels that, God feels that same way about you. And if that chafes against you, I'm going to tell you lovingly, it's because you got bad theology. And you don't really know the Father yet. That doesn't mean he winks at your sin. He destroyed his son for your sin. Takes that seriously. But he loves you. And he looks at you like you look at those grandbabies. Old men, you understand the love of God. And you need to leave that legacy to your family and to your surrounding. And I'll say one more thing there, and then I'm, I'm going to use this in conclusion. Is simply this. No man, listen to me, guys. No man ever left a legacy that he didn't live. If you want to live a legacy or leave a legacy, you better live one. What's that look like? I've just laid it out for you. Whatever stage of life that you're in, and you need to be like Archippus. You need to pay attention. You need to pay attention to the ministry that God's given you. Don't get sidetracked from it. Put your effort and energy towards it every single day. And you finish that ministry because one day you're going to die. And this preacher is not going to lie at your funeral. And don't make that a temptation. Let's leave that legacy. And to do that, you need to fulfill the ministry at every stage of your life. Would you stand with me this morning? And I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing on our men and boys in this room. And I want, I want you men to pray that same blessing for the people that are in your life. And you ladies, you pray, this, you pray a blessing over the, the men and boys in your life. Let's hold them accountable. And fellas, let's get after it. Let's pay attention. We're fulfilling the ministry God's given us at this stage of our life. Father God, we come to you today as your sons, as your boys. 
your men, that you have called in a vital union with you through the violent substitutionary penal atonement of your son, Jesus Christ. What a price you paid. And Lord, you've given every single one of us a ministry. As children, you've given us that ministry of submission. As young men, you've given us that ministry to put away our childhood and to run towards responsibility. As men, you've called us to be life givers, mentors, and disciple makers. And as old men, you've called us old men to leverage the legacy and love that you have for us and to cast that vision for kingdom life. God, may we work together in concert. May we pay attention and see to it that we finish this ministry that you've given us, that we might finish well, die well, and live for eternity, not with regrets, but with thanksgiving for what you allowed us to do by paying attention to the ministry you've given us. May this word find fertile soil on the hearts of these men in this room today. May the women connected to these men encourage them by gently holding them accountable and supporting uh, that ministry that each of us have at the life stage that we're in. May you be honored for it in Christ's name. Amen. Would you join me in singing that doxology as we leave today? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.